0: guacamole or if you would like to say it as most texans would say it would be holy guacamole. We're on episode 9. Sit down, relax. Get ready to dive into something fun. Today on out here in the middle, we've got a a good friend and a uh, really unique story to tell. We're going to get to get into some politics to some degree. We're going to get to talk about what politics and agriculture have in the same space. Uh and then also gracing us cuz I don't want to introduce him cuz I'm going to let him introduce himself. We got Johnny Caldwell. Conganas Caldwell. (laughs) That is, uh, that is kind of how we're, we're, we're verbing that one out right now. Johnny, are you, are you excited about where the conversation's about to head? Yes, I'm very excited. Yeah. I'm kind of nervous. I'm getting kind of tingly when we think about kind of what happened. So, so without further ado, (laughs) without further ado, let's, let's get the secretary of agriculture for the state of New Mexico, Jeff Woody, Mr. Secretary. Thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah. Happy to be here, Jay. I mean,
0: Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> talking about talking about traveling for the podcast, I mean, how many times have you been to Del City?
1: You know, to be honest, this is the first time I've been able to come over to
0: Del City. What a place. I, I find it, I mean, I find it shocking because of the metropolis that we live in. I mean, I'm surprised most people haven't, so they've been to Del City a couple times. I
1: thought I was pulling into Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I didn't. I I, yeah. I, you you <laughs> totally stopped me on the, on that. Place. Make make that a mark. First time we've
1: had Jay speechless. Right.
0: <laughs> My wife does it all the time. She just tells me, she, you know, gives me the eye. And then I'm like, oh, I don't have anything else to say. Maybe she should be in here on the podcast. So hey. that way I just don't dig a deeper hole sometimes. Sometimes it's good to have a conscience. Yeah, a, <laughs> that's quotable. <laughs> That is quotable. I'll uh, put that on my desk. Yeah, Johnny's got more note cards on his desk of course. So the story that that I would say is, I, I didn't grow up in in 4H and FFA. I didn't really get to get involved with all those things that much. But I I got a random call from somebody that said, "Hey Jay, would you be interested in sitting on a board uh, for the Dona Ana, um County Farm Bureau?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, I I don't know what Farm Bureau really does, but I'll." I'll have no problem in going at least listening and so within the first meeting they said hey congratulations you're voted you're on the board i said i have no idea what that means but they were they were looking in those days for some younger blood to 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 kind of keep that chapter of, of farm bureau rolling and um from that i i went on to the state board mm-hmm. and that's when we we really started to connect and there was a lot of things that farm bureau was doing um that new mexico department of agriculture was was also involved with and uh, we've had some really good conversations and I've, I've gotten to learn a lot about what happens in the political world. I've always been fascinated by politics. I, Jeff said it best. I can't run for office because my closet's too full. Um, <laughs> social media, social media, I tend to hang things out there, uh, not literally. And, uh, <laughs> And, and those those things uh, will kind of keep somebody from being able to run. In my opinion, I, I think it would be perfect to run because people need some reality in their life. But at the same time, I understand that you have to put yourself into a light that's.
1: You, you are the type of people that we really need to run for office. But are not electable. Shame. It's a shame that the environment today doesn't encourage that kind of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So. So being the secretary of agriculture for New Mexico, it's an appointed pos- position. How long have you been the secretary?
1: I have been secretary since May of 2011. Mm-hmm. So you back that out nine, nine and a half years,
0: nine and a half years, uh, two governors, three governors,
1: two governors, a secretary. I've served like seven in my career.
0: So so let's jump into the career did you, growing up, did you ever think that you would be doing oh, what you're doing? Oh, Lord,
1: no. Who would want to do this job? Right. So, I mean, if you think about it, why would you want to do this? This is the best job in the state of New Mexico. Why not? So you have, you have the best
0: job in the state of New Mexico, but why would anybody but, want to do but it? But
1: nobody, I mean, if you think about doing this thing, dealing with politics, you know, my career started out of college as a, they, they talked me into becoming the government affairs director for the Farm Bureau. Mike, my, my, during the interview process, I told the executive vice president of the Foreign Bureau, I said, I don't. why would I want to do that? I don't like politics and I don't like politicians. And he, you know, after four <coughs> months, they convinced me to do this. And, and he says, if you don't like it, you can leave. If we don't like you, we'll tell you to leave. I stayed in the Foreign Bureau for seven and a half years. You, you figure out that that politics is that thing that people talk about. The real joy in the job is getting the work done is dealing with the people, the farmers and ranchers and the kids and, and others. And you're interacting with the people who are trying to make decisions, the legislators, the governors, the USDA secretary, whoever. And you figure out, you take the politics, that's the stuff that, those are the talking points. Politics is talking points. The work, everybody wants to get the work done. The
0: the interesting thing to me is, especially living in a day and in, in, in age where social media is so... Crazy. Where so many people have a political agenda, but they don't truly share it. All they do is just kind of stir the, the pot with, oh, I'm going to share this because it's something that I agree with. But you don't actually see somebody out there making a stand about what mm-hmm. they really want and what, you know, them personally. And so I think that does a really good job of masking what true politics are. And, and I think true politics, and this is my opinion, Johnny, jump in on this if, if you have a different opinion, and Jeff is as well. But I think that the definition of true politics is actually being able to get something done and changing something that, that your constituents want to change for the
1: better. Every politician who runs for office, and I'll call the people who run for office politicians, mm-hmm. they are elected to do something. The challenge is, is those people in agriculture, they like things kind of left alone. And so no. you have what? this, you no. have so this big disconnect. People, no. people are elected to do something, but we elect people to not do something. And and I and I was telling the Farm Bureau crowd many years ago, I said, when was the last time you thanked at the time Congressman Skeen was in office? I said, When was the last time you thanked Joe Skeen for not passing this bill that would give you whatever kind of farm support you needed? And they looked at me like, well. That's crazy i said you sit here at your meetings and you want to talk about not no new taxes no new program no new regulations when was the last time you thanked somebody for not doing something
0: if we had to say we had crickets i would insert the cricket (laughs) exactly I'd like to take a couple quick seconds just to thank some of our sponsors. And one of those sponsors is Walls Outdoor Goods. Walls is just over the hill through the mountains, across into the hill country, into Fort Worth, Texas. I'm gonna tell you something these people have been working and dedicating their lifestyle to our lifestyle for eight decades. They have been making the finest outdoor workwear that you could ask for. Personally, I like the Ditch Diggers, they have a smooth waistband. It's an 11-ounce stretch cotton duck material. I have no idea what that means. I hear there's cotton in it, and so that's absolutely amazing. If you got a dad bod like me, and you get out there and you start twisting and grinding and moving and trying to do something with your regular work pants on, it gets kind of uncomfortable. These babies will let you breathe a smooth move just the way that you need to groove. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to be working with Walls Outdoors. Uh, And if you're looking to to find something to add to your workwear collection, go to Walls.com. They do ship directly to your door, so even if you live out here in the middle just like I do, they will go direct from their door to yours. And one of the things that I appreciate the most is, is they're still based in America. They still provide workwear for the American working man and woman. And uh, and having them on our team allows us to do a good job of broadcasting what's actually happening out here in the middle of somewhere. So if you're interested in looking at Walls Outdoor Goods list of awesome items that you can add to your workwear, go to Walls.com, tell them Jay sent you and we thank him so much for all the support they've given us. This podcast is sponsored by a world-class alfalfa. is grown in the shadows of the Guadalupe Mountains, the highest peak in the state of Texas. Our unique climate offers cool nights, warm days, and allows us to grow some of the finest forage on the face of the planet. For more information about Chafe, please visit www.chaffee.com. So when, when, when you think about Your job, I guess, let's just go back. What is your job?
1: (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of people that wonder that. Oh, we got 45 minutes. Roll the rug out. You know, (laughs) my my number one job is to try to represent. And I said this one time at a uh, we were at a meeting of our Western region directors, secretaries and commissioners. And and we're going around the table. I don't even know what the topic was at the at the day at the time, but some of the some of the my fellow commissioners, directors, secretaries from around the West, they were like, well, we can't vote for this because you know, our governor's not in favor of it or we can't comment on this or whatever. And I said, look, I said, I was put in this position to advise the governor, not for the governor to advise me. I said, so this is a policy that's important for agriculture. It's my job to take that to the governor and convince them that it's good for agriculture. That's number one. You've got to represent your constituents to the people that you're working with,
0: which has got to be hard because as a farmer, my favorite thing to do is to bitch. I mean, really think about it. The weather, the commodity. I don't even like to think about that part. I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) I mean, I think that is the biggest thing that us in agriculture really love to do is to be able to sit down and just mumble and grumble and complain about what we have going on in agriculture.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm.
0: And so, so now you have to take me, which is being pretty salty and say, uh, if you're not getting change accomplished uh it's your
1: fault jeff it's yeah you know, there's a lot of that on your shoulders that that you know you're not going to win everything and it doesn't matter i've worked for republican governors i've worked with democratic governors. it doesn't matter i don't even care what their party affiliations are mm-hmm. my affiliation is for the agricultural industry the food industry and and there's you've got to have that voice at the table everybody else has a voice at the table whether it's businesses in, in the middle of albuquerque or or the environmental community whatever you want to define that as there's people who think they're environmentalists but they're they're noisemakers that that get involved in a lot of environmental policies which is fine but you've got to also bring that perspective of the people the boots on the ground and that's your job you may not win everything but at least you've got a fighting chance if you got somebody in there who will take it to the table so
0: with that being said, you're 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 trying to represent so many different walks of life. Even though agriculture is one industry, what you have to do is and let's let's talk about what the Department of Agriculture is is made up of. So, what what
1: makes up New Mexico Department of Agriculture? What spaces? You know, and and getting back to that representing thing, it's so easy because all of agriculture is always on the same page. Oh, yeah, no. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, there's never... And so you have to, you know, <laughs> when you're sitting in my chair, you have to try to figure out which is the which is the best path to go down and, and to get the biggest win and the biggest bang for the buck. And sometimes you have to convince some of you in agriculture, Jay, Come on. that, uh, you know, what you're really advocating for is just backwards and is not going to advance the industry and, and you're not seeing the whole picture and that kind of thing. There are so many facets that we're dealing with these days with. I feel like with, you're shooting hot arrows at me right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm just picking on you because you're sitting, you know, right here next to No, me. it's good though. It, it could be Johnny. It, we we it need could to, be anybody else. We do need to serve um, some humble pie. <laughs> well, and, and I get served it quite a bit myself, but it, you know, when we're dealing with, with department of ag stuff, I deal with marketing we market products from New Mexico all across the world. We deal with the regulatory side. And people ask me all the time, how can you be a marketer, a salesperson for agriculture and be the regulator? Isn't that like the fox guarding the hen house? Well, you're, you're going to find out. You, you've hired some new sales folks. You're, they're going to find out that the number one, and, and we found this all over the world, the number one thing of marketing is to ensure the consumer, whoever your consumer is, that the product was produced in a safe environment Mm -hmm. and that you follow all the regular guidance that needed to be followed, that there is no chance of whatever you're producing can be contaminated or will make people or animals sick. Number one marketing thing. Mm -hmm. When we bring people from out of country into the state of New Mexico to talk about whether it's cheese, whether it's pecans, Chili, beer, wine. Keep going. Whatever, whatever we're. I'm getting hungry and thirsty the at the time. same time. Livestock, whatever it is, it, it's amazed me. It, it amazed me at first. And now we just do it as a part of the course. We bring in our regulatory folks to talk about our regulatory programs. And those people from the foreign, foreign countries, Mexico, the European Union, Asia, wherever, they want to know how we regulate and ensure food safety. So, so you have to find that balance. And, and a producer, you may not even understand that or even care about that regulatory side. And yet, whenever I travel the world, whether I was in Korea one time and, and we're sitting there talking about to the brokers, sitting around a table, talking to the brokers, the guys who buy all the food for, for Korea, the import. And, and he made this comment. It was pretty clear. He said, U.S. food, we don't even question the food safety. We've been there, we've inspected it. We see the, the inspection process. We have 100 percent confidence in the safety of the food from the U.S. Connect us with your growers. We will buy 100%, 100% of what you guys grow in the United States. You all in the United States are cheap. You don't want to spend any money on food. You can buy all the stuff we don't want to purchase from all the other foreign countries like China or wherever because you guys will buy cheap stuff. We'll buy the goods. That's a four-letter word in this office right (laughs) now. (laughs) I'm I'm just telling you that so so me – as the director and secretary of agriculture for the state of New Mexico, I have to convince you, the farmer, that there's a facet of the regulatory process that is important and that, that the in consumer appreciates that.
0: So right now, how much of the regulatory process
1: is viable in the state of New Mexico? Well, 100% of it's viable. Well, no. Do <laughs> right. you think I want to sit here and talk into the world and tell I, them it's not? <laughs> I, I, I should have worn waiters today. <laughs> so there's, there's, let's go back to the history of regulation. Most of the regula- regulations and the laws in every state, and even to some extent to this in this nation, were created by those who were producers, who were business people, some attorneys got involved in the process, but they were created in the twenties, thirties, and forties. Mm-hmm. They're the foundation laws of of any state: the feed laws in the state of New Mexico, the nursery laws, the pesticide. All those go back way back when. Most of them were created by individuals who had been harmed in some way by somebody unscrupulous, and it was usually the business people who brought that stuff up to the to the legislature in the early days. Today, you have all kinds of people advocating mm-hmm. who may not even be in the in the business. They're advocating for regulations. But the foundation laws and regulations were created by those who were actually involved. Those are the base laws that you go back to. Now you've got the Food Safety Modernization Act that's in Congress. That was passed in 2011. We didn't even implement that thing until 2017.
0: Well, I remember I remember the day that you called me and said, hey, do you have a chance to come down here? We need to talk about what FSMA truly yeah. means for New Mexico.
1: I mean, I mean, here... And and I've said this, we, we had to pass a state law in the state of New Mexico so that we would have the authority to enforce FISMA as either us or the FDA. You ask your producers, "What do you want? Producers said, you guys. We want the state folks to do that. Absolutely. Not, not the federal. So we have to go through that process. But FISMA was crafted to protect that last 0.008% of the food chain. If you look at food safety in this country, we have a strong history of safe food. Mm-hmm. We've also had a few instances where things get contaminants. things happen. Mm-hmm. We find that. We have a good system because we find it. But, but so you've been all over the yeah. world. So how,
0: looking at a, a, across the world, do you still see that the United States is the safest supply of food on the planet?
1: Oh, yeah. Not only do we have a good safe supply of food from the producer standpoint, we have a good safe supply all the way through to the end consumer. Most of your food contamination issues happen after it leaves the farm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And which most and people don't realize. They that. don't realize. You, the farmer gets blamed for it, but it, yeah. it happens after you leave the farm through the transportation system, through, you know, the husband. I'll pick on the husbands. Picking Wash up, your butt, truck drivers. Picking up the food at the grocery store and taking it home and running into the house to watch the game instead of unloading the hamburger out of the trunk. And then they find <laughs> it the next morning, right? Right. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It was cool last night. We'll just go ahead and cook it. You know, hmm. kind of i've uh, <coughs> been there I, uh, yeah, yeah we've all been there but <laughs> but most of your food safety issues happen like that when, when you go to places like vietnam i've been there a couple times they have no distribution system that is a country that is craving what five percent of what we have in the u.s they're craving milk per capita consumption of dairy products a liter and a half a year wow a year right They don't have refrigeration systems in their homes, so so you you have to buy ultra-filtered milk, uh, high temperature, high heat treated milk. Would that increase the organic demand over there? um, It would probably increase every demand over there. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I'm just saying for the
0: organic milk side since it's ultra pasteurized.
1: Well, you can get the you can get it ultra pasteurized. Yeah. It's it's the the trick is is getting it over there. You know, they have Vina milk, which is their Vietnam. As a, as a country has ninety thousand head of dairy cattle, that's like nine good dairies in New Mexico. As I say, we've, we we yeah. feed probably that many cows with our hay. Yeah, and and you know for a, for that population, it, so they got to import it all, right? We were in Myanmar uh, several years ago. If you ever have a chance to go to Myanmar, don't. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just on the other side of the world, and it's 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 not a safest place yet. It's getting it. You know, they have dreams, they have hopes. But it was not the safest place I've ever been. But but here's one of our regulatory issues that we had to deal with. In in the United States, your X dates on milk start when it's packaged, your expiration dates. So think about milk going from the U.S. halfway across the world, because Myanmar is exactly halfway across the world.
0: Where is Myanmar?
1: So if you take if you take, uh, have you even heard of that, Johnny? Burma. I'm, it's Burma. Oh, okay. Burma. oh okay. Burma. Okay. Okay. So, so so, milk leaves here, it takes a week and a half to get over there by boat. They freeze it. They get her over there. The problem with U.S. milk and going into Burma is that the expiration dates start the day it's packaged in the U.S. So they get they have a shelf life of like four days left. But well, it takes them four days to unpackage it from the boat. So by the time they unpackage it, the U.S. milk is fixed out. Australia, New Zealand, and other countries, their ex-dates start when you defrost the milk. So when it's offloaded and from the ship in Burma. And so there's a, there's a big challenge that we've got. Some of our regulatory system isn't as modern as what it needs to be. I think that's the biggest point we have today. Technology has changed to the point where our regulations that were written in the 20s, 30s, and 40s don't match the production of the 2020s. Hmm. That's, that's pretty
0: interesting. So tying back to you've got the regulatory side. You've got the production side, you've got a marketing side, the marketing side. So, but we're we're in the industry of agriculture, but I mean, I pull up to a gas station and you guys are out there (laughs) pumping gas into a jug. I mean, what what does that have to do with agriculture?
1: (laughs) So, you know, a lot of the States have the, what we call the weights and measures program. And so we're in grocery stores, we're in all the gas stations. And that's kind of a historical thing. Uh, We had the weights and measures program to check scales so, several years ago, when they restructured state government, they put they also had the bureau I think it was the Bureau of uh, Oil or something like that back in the day in the, in the '40s, and they restructured government, and so they they created they moved different things to different agencies, and so they moved the petroleum inspection program to the Department of Agriculture since we had the weights and measure side of it as mm-hmm. well. That's an important program in in the fact that um, a lot of people are buying. We have about a six percent error rate on on gas pumps, meaning that you're either getting shorted or we're shorting the gas station, and we don't care which side it's on. Well, you know, somebody's getting shorted. We're going to turn it off. Um, we're going to check the octane level. A lot of cars are designed to run on eighty six, but people think they got to put ninety two in them, or some of the cars are made at ninety two, and the and by I'll call it by accident the the trucker puts the 86 and the 92 and the cars won't run right. Or you put diesel in the gas tank or gas in the diesel tank. And Makes you, me cringe. You know we, know, we come up with those issues. We find that stuff and you get water in there. And so those are things that we just check. So it's part of our program through the weights and measures side of the deal. Grocery stores, were in there checking the scales. And so if you're buying a pound of meat, you're going to get a pound of meat. Um, if, the, if the Cheerio box says it's got 13 ounces, it's going to have 13 ounces of Cheerios, not 13 ounces with the box. What, what about uh, the food stamp side of things? We are not in that business. That in the state of New Mexico is with the human services division. Okay.
0: So it, that, that does not fall in with USDA and how
1: they have. No, USDA does it, but not with NMDA.
0: Okay. That wasn't not.
1: How was yeah, it? That's, that's with our sister agency.
0: So you've got, you've got voices and opinions coming from, uh, let's say that again, you've got opinions coming from all angles. And in regulation, as we are hoping in agriculture to shift things in our favor, depending on where we're at, you know, organic, conventional meat, whatever it could be, how does a person in agriculture efficiently affect the way that regulations are shaped around this industry?
1: You know, the biggest thing is, is is to be involved. Um, the organic, are you an organic grower? Not anymore. You don't have the certifications. Okay, so organic. Let's just let's just talk about organics right now. Organics is the biggest regulatory component of agriculture that there is. in In organic agriculture, you are considered guilty until you prove yourself innocent through the organic certification process. We certify organic growers. Uh, the or- organic growers have shaped that regulatory structure through the National Organic Board. That's appointed by USDA, it's producers, it's processors, it's people involved in the deal. They they advise the secretary on all the regulations. The organic growers want heavy regulation. They want to make sure that if Jay Hill wants to be or, an organic grower, he's got to follow everything in there. You know, 35 pages of checklist. Mm-hmm. That was impacted and that was created by the organic growers themselves. Some of the mm-hmm. states and some of the other Policy people have, over the years, have recommended relaxing some of that stuff. And the growers say, no, we want strong, consistent regulation. And the growers have been involved in that.
0: Well, that helps the market. I mean, it, it's a, it, well. I and mean, it keeps me from being able to jump in, <laughs> flood it, and then jump back and then out. And jump back
1: out. Exactly. And, and that's that's part of the deal they're protecting their enterprises as as they probably should the dairy industry is is, a, is another one heavily regulated on the food safety side on the environmental side the dairy industry has had to over the years they've had to roll up their their sleeves and really get involved in some of the environmental regulatory processes
0: it Watch. seems to me though and this is this is again a 30,000 foot view of somebody that that feeds a lot of dairy cows um, the Dairymen are always complaining about regulatory issues.
1: And and yeah, exactly. That's exactly where I was headed because they are super regulated. Most of their regulations maybe started out with some of the dairymen, but because of the footprint and the environmental, perceived environmental impacts, there's many others that have gotten involved, especially in the groundwater and, and the water type issues. So the dairy folks now have spent a lot of their time really talking about true impacts of regulations into their industry and whether they're beneficial or not beneficial. I go back to my earlier thing. The greatest marketing tool that farmers have is a a strong regulatory program. That doesn't mean an overburdensome regulatory program. And sometimes farmers, and if you're not at the table and you're not discussing the true impacts and effects of these regulations, some of these people don't understand. They don't understand dairy. They just understand the groundwater has a potential to get contaminated, or they understand that there's a potential for bacteria or penicillin or something to be introduced into the milk supply. They understand that, but they don't understand the intricacies of, of what it takes to keep it out. Dairymen understand that. And they can participate in that process by explaining, here's a better way of keeping food safe without being overburdensome in the regulatory process. You may win some, you may lose some of that stuff, but you gotta be in the game.
0: Yet it seems like there's so many, there's so many... And this is the way that I think a lot of people in agriculture, even organic. I've got some some friends that are large organic producers and small organic producers. It seems like there are so many voices that are trying to get a seat at the table right now that they tend to overpower. Let's take an example of PETA. And I spent two years at animal welfare conferences speaking on behalf of dairymen and cattlemen and all of these things about what they're doing while getting in the middle of a conversation with somebody that says what you're doing is murder and it's rape and it's all of these horrible things. But it seems like as regulations continue to shift for some reason, their voice is getting louder than the person that's actually boots in the poo. And, and so what are you, I mean, every conference that I've ever spoke at or every conference that I've ever attended Always is somebody standing up saying, well, we need to share our story and we need to share our voice. And that's the only way we effectively make change. We're seeing that American agriculturalists are not able to get off the farm and make those changes. So what what does an industry need to do to be able to actually have a seat at that table? Because that we can't keep up with what the activists are doing.
1: Yeah. You know, I think the and, and I talked about this at the last Farm Bureau conference I spoke at um, last year. Here's the new phenomenon that we're all dealing with. States and the feds, federal government, we all have our regulatory structure. We have a rulemaking process. We, we, we propose a rule. Farmers, consumers, anybody in the world can come and comment on it. We go through that. We set the regulations and we enforce them. The new regulatory process is so much different and so much more vast and so much more impactful. And I'm talking about the regulatory process that private industry is putting on themselves. Huh. For instance, you know, there's a dairy co-op now that will not buy milk from a dairy if they don't dehorn their cattle using a certain technique in a certain number of days of the calf being born. Mm. It has nothing to do with the production of the cow. It's all in how you're treating that baby calf that was born. That's not a government agency. It's nothing to do with government. That's the co-op telling the dairy farmer, if you're not using this production practice, we're not buying your milk, period. That's a bigger hammer than I got.
2: Absolutely. Well, isn't that the blessing and curse of the free market? And, yeah. and
1: who we no, are. And who we are. Right. And, and that's something we got to do with. But to Jay's point, yeah, yeah. you got it's all these people involved in this. You see people now uh, getting on, you see the organizations trying to get onto these public companies so that they can in, introduce resolutions to the Philip Morris's or the Altrias or the Kellogg's or the whoever to do animal welfare. Checks, you know, checks on, on their produce. You have you know, other companies that are now saying if, if you inject hormones into your livestock, we're not buying your chicken. Uh, you have, so, so now you have not only the state government and federal government, in some cases county government regulatory process, you have the bigger regulatory process that you have no control over. Well, look- you have no input into the discussion. You have, you have no opportunity to comment on under their policies. Other than you got to go out and find a new buyer.
0: Let me let me throw a little spoonful of salt in the tea for a second though. How how do we get around the fact that people or companies are using labeling okay. as a form of regulation? It's it's not it's not necessarily that you have to put you know there is regulations on what you can and can't put on. We're in we're in fifty states and three countries mm-hmm. with chafe, and so we have to go through each Department of Agriculture to make sure that what we put on our bag is what it is. But at the same time, I walk into a grocery store. And I'm finding, you know, hormone free or antibiotic free <laughs> chicken, you know, which is shaping the way people see regulation. And they're saying, well, you shouldn't be able to use any antibiotic in any antibiotics in chicken. And people are saying "Well, th- th- there's not any antibiotics in the chicken anyway. But that conversation is now shape- in at least in my opinion. I live I live out here in the middle of in, somewhere in
1: the middle. of Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> That conversation is shaping the way, at least it feels like to me and a lot of people I know that would agree with me, is shaping the way regulation is rolled out towards agriculture. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: So, so what do we do for that?
1: It, 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 I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew. Be, because Check, please. <laughs> it, you know, at, at a certain point we talk about and we, when we brag about how, you know, agriculture, the people involved in agriculture, one and a half percent of the country. Right. Mm-hmm. One and a half percent. If that feeds. Yeah, exactly. Feeds the world feeds the world. Well, people are starting to ca- catch on to that deal. Like, ah, we don't have to mess with these guys anymore. That's only one and a half percent. And they're silent. They want to be at the farm or ranch and left alone. And, mm-hmm. and, and yet at the end of the day, then they're getting hammered by all of these, whether it's regulatory processes of government or regulatory processes of their their buyers. And and you you were talking about earlier. We got to tell our story. We have to tell our story, but you know Lowell Callet, and he's a great philosopher. (laughs) We've been trying to get him on here, pontificator, and you know, and and, uh, but he made this comment many years ago. He says we keep trying to tell people our story about how we created the cow, or how we created the wheat, or how we created the milk. He says, at the end of the day, there's 98% of the people that don't give a darn. Yeah, They just want to eat. <laughs> we had this discussion at the state legislature a few years ago when we were talking about GMO labeling. And one of the state senators made this comment. He, he said, you know, I hear from my constituents. He said, but don't tell me that GMOs are bad. And this was a uh, a legislator who's more on the progressive side on the, you know, and. and and his thought, I I don't even like that. He, he was just anyway. He wasn't an agriculturalist. So let's just put it that way. But he said, "Don't tell me that GMOs are are bad because he was in Vietnam when they brought in the GMO rice that actually saved the country." Yeah, he says, "Which I was outlawed." I was there. I saw it. We wouldn't even have people from Vietnam today had they not had Borlaug not brought that in. Right. Yet we have to deal with all these thought leaders, and we're trying to convince people that agriculture is good and we need to. But at the end of the day, 98% of them just want to eat. They don't care whether it's GMO. They don't care whether it's organic. They don't care about anything. They just want food on the table. We just went through a period through this pandemic, unlike what I've ever seen, where more people, I think my feeling was, you, you see it on your social media crowds and you see it in different circles, when you, when you're listening to people talk, more people today understand where food came from than in March. Yeah, and I grew ten thousand followers during COVID, and they care about that. They don't really care that you put X number of pounds of fertilizer this year, and you did three hundred percent less than you did two years. They don't care. Just like that pickup truck you're driving, you don't care how Ford, Chevy, or Dodge or anybody else made it. You just want the darn thing to run. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. At the end of the day, you want food on the table and you want to know that it's safe. And I think I think we have missed the mess. We tried to spoon feed people on a lot of these practices. And I think we have to do some of that. But it seems like a lot of these farm organizations, too. And one thing that
0: I learned in some media training was we don't you know. And I'll say that we learned. And this is something that I bring back to the table a lot of times is people don't want to be told that it's safe. They don't want to be told that it's affordable and they don't want to be told that it's abundant because it makes it seem like it's all.
1: They they don't want to be told. They want to be assured. Okay, They They want it in the back of their mind. You know, early in my career, when I started the Farm Bureau, John Augustine was their original executive director. And one day, you know, I was a brain full of mush you know, leaving the university, working for the university for a year. And then I went to work for Foreign Bureau and I had all these grandiose ideas and whatnot. But Johnny, he brought me into his office and, and he said, we sat down and we were having a, a, a real think tank session. And But he said one of the things that, that really has stuck with me forever. And he said, our job is to make other people better. Our job is to make people understand that they are great without telling them they're great. Our job is to... Make sure that any idea that comes from us came from them. Our job is to make sure they have confidence without taking credit. I think we have to really fall back to Johnny's philosophy on some of this stuff and and understand that we need to quit telling people and start assuring people in, in a different way. I
0: think one of the biggest things, too, is we hate, you know, (laughs) not being a very good student. I didn't really like the word education Um, (laughs) at the same at the same time. It seems like so many people tell us that, well, if we could just educate, we've got salespeople on our staff that we're like, you know, it's all about the education process. We've got to educate. People don't want to be educated. People just want to understand that, which is education subliminally, that it's good. And this is going to do something that's going to help them or going to help their family or their animals or whatever. But at the same time, if we sat down and said, I'm going to watch, I want you to go through this checklist with me and I'm going to educate you on how this, you know, they're going to be like, I'm out.
1: I want that. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be cool? You're, you're the social media guru. you you have created this following of 10 million producers all around the universe, right? I'm just here to tick them all off now. <laughs> wouldn't it be? What's the most popular thing done these days? Well, before we shut down all the restaurants, everybody was taking food selfies. Mm-hmm. What the heck is that all about? You get a plate and you take a picture, man, I'm enjoying this, whatever, burrito in Del City or, or whatever it is. And, and you spread that all over the world. Well, one of these days, some of these young folks with a great mind are going to be able to, when you, every time you take a picture, it, somewhere on your phone, it shows if you don't know how to turn this stuff off exactly where you took that picture at right yeah Mm -hmm. so one of these days that restaurant is going to have the ability to have that menu and and it's going to be when you take that picture of that plate and it goes into the social media world everything on that plate is going to show up that chili came from j hill farms that's the hamburger came from you know johnny's ranch there's there's going to be a way i think you can do this I don't know. I'm a thinker. I'm not a doer. Don't, don't go with that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm biting my tongue. (laughs) I see a day when sophisticated restaurants are going to have that ability to, to ingrain that picture of that plate into their menu. And when you take a picture, it's all going to show up automatically because it's tied to that location. Hmm, And and when you do that, you have assured the people.
0: Well, there's a producer now in Texas, um, um, Will Steele and and uh, Michelle um, Agmag is her handle. They're doing it's called Farmer U, I believe, or Farmer Meat Farmer U. And it's just a picture of a sticker on whatever piece of the produce it is. And instead of having to have a QR code or anything like that, all you do is pick up your camera and turn your camera onto it, and then it triggers something that says, "Hey, this this watermelon was grown at Vermont
1: Farms there in Deming, New Mexico." See, here I go. I just invented something. that was invented ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's why we love you, Jeff. Ideal man. I'm I'm right. I'm right up there with you. Right?
0: <laughs> we're trying to do the same thing at Chaffee. Eh?
1: I, I can see the day where Chaffee, hey, when somebody's feeding your your product, that it just shows up automatically on their social media thing, and and their happy cows and happy horses and happy everything is right there, right?
0: Happy, happy, happy. I'm telling you. So if if we're if we're looking at at the whole process of Education. What do we as producers have to do to get around this? I mean, talk about the perfect storm. So we went through we went through 2018, which was a decent year. 2019 was just a kick in the back of the knees for almost every aspect of agriculture. I mean, between weather and then the market failures and the China deal and then all of that. 2020 and this is what i always love about watching social media in january it's because everybody's like that's new me it's new you it's we're just all gonna get together and we're gonna change everything it's gonna be absolutely amazing i've been there done that guilty trust me at the same time here comes covid and then here comes China pulling back and here comes drought and here comes excess rain and everything starts changing. And all of a sudden you're seeing a bunch of commodity style farms. The niche people are doing pretty well, you know, and how many, how many conversations have you had since March with beef producers or, or goat producers that are saying, we're going to start butchering our own.
1: Oh, every day I have a new person contact.
0: Yeah. That's saying, Hey, we want to be able to get certified to, to be able to. Yeah. So, so, which I think is good. In my opinion, mm-hmm. the fact that it's going to make us as agriculture to kind of step outside from behind. Hey, I'm just going to throw these fats on a trailer and it's going to go to a feed yard and then it's going to go to a butcher. And then I get a check for whatever the market is that day. People are trying to get a little bit more control. We do that now with a lot of our business where we have some control of what we're selling. At the same time, how are we in in agriculture going to continue to survive at this pace? <laughs>
1: it's it's got to be a new pace and you know we we as a world we fell into the trap of of efficiency every decision we made was based on a perceived efficiency maybe of dollars maybe of time maybe of whatever right why are we in dull city we yeah why are you I'm in Del more city? efficient
2: that's why we were in china yeah yeah that's what took us to china That's
1: so what took us to china you know so we made all of, we forgot about one thing and efficiency works really good as long as all the cogs in the wheel are rolling together. Mm-hmm. But you pull one out and, and the agricultural food supply chain is a perfect example. Yep. You pull one little cog out
2: right.
1: and the whole thing falls apart. We built a supply chain based on 49% home consumption, 51% institutional consumption. Institutional meaning restaurants, schools, schools prisons. prisons, whatever. We took out those 51%, should be 51 percent, right, right? We took out well, maybe we took out 49 percent. Everybody all of a sudden shifting to that 48 percent, 49 percent eating at home, and we couldn't deal with it. We didn't package milk for that. You don't buy a, a half pint of milk to drink at home. You buy a gallon of milk. Mm-hmm. So we had dairies that couldn't. We had processors that couldn't produce, get rid of their milk because it was in half pints, and we needed gallons. We had built this based off of efficiencies. We didn't build a continuity of operations plan of just in case, what happens if we shift? We never thought about a shift. We never thought about a pandemic. Everything, the whole world, you know, somebody told me one time, a third of our of our uh, space for warehousing is in the air. They have figured out around. how to put store things in UPS and FedEx planes instead of renting space on the ground. Things are moving that efficiency. So you take the planes down. All of a sudden, you got products that can't be moved. You got planes that are sitting there full of stuff that can't be dispersed where they mm-hmm. need to go. So well, even even more
0: than that, so so the country starts to soft open, and then we can't catch up. And then you can't catch up. Well, then now now we're I mean we're seeing that right now on the on the transportation side. I mean it was with with trucks it was shooting fish in a barrel to get product move. And then all of a sudden trucking companies are going under and going under and going under and and halting. And then all of a sudden now there's no trucks. There's no trucks. So, so, so going forward, what, what, what's our, what's our plan? How do we, how do we get out of that now? And I'm saying that as, as a farmer talking to a farmer, (laughs) you know.
1: But the, well, there's the thousand dollar, million dollar question. That one, in fact, that one's so easy. I'm gonna let Johnny answer it.
2: <laughs> I think I'm underqualified.
1: You, you know, at the at the end of the day, I think that term efficiency needs to be evaluated a little bit differently. People are now recognizing the importance of of food at the local level, at at, at any level, basically. But. Um, I think there's there's certain efficiencies that are, are are coming out of this thing. We're seeing more people wanting to to build, you know, meat processing facilities at the at from the 10 head per week to the 100 head per day scale, not the 4000 head per day that some of the big four are doing. Mm-hmm. And they see a market for that. They see a market opportunity. Mm-hmm. Restaurants who couldn't get meat anymore because you had one big facility go down. So so the producer has an opportunity, if they want to engage into this thing, to to seize a market that was not available to them, you know, before March, Mm -hmm. to to take advantage of that. I I say take advantage of that, to try to grow into that. To capitalize on it. The young folks, I think, are ready to to look at those opportunities. The folks who are nearing retirement, they're like, we've been there, we've done that, we're not going to change much, but they're ready to turn it over to that next generation. I think you're going to see a, a, a new generation coming up with a whole different scheme. We go back to this restaurant thing. If you got meat coming from Johnny's ran, oh, Johnny's ranch. He's ninja chopping the yeah, this easy Jeff. <laughs> I get excited when I talk about meat. Whoa! <laughs> wow. Give me that steak. <laughs> but, but if you got, if you got a restaurant that's serving, that's source identifying, on the menu, where their products are coming from, and you're seeing more and more desire to do that, there's an opportunity to get to, to get into that market.
0: Okay, so here comes the salt. Ready? Yep. More Americans are out of work than we've seen, and you probably have the stats
2: at Our the same time, huh?
0: Yeah, in my lifetime for sure. And the fact that, you know, we did have a good economic run, which we've completely erased that economic run, um, but disposable incomes to be able to pay for uh, those mills are going down. So with us not being able to efficiently process our food, how do we get to a point where people's incomes justify us having to go into a second step?
1: In America, we were paying between 6 and 12% of our gross income for food.
0: Which is nothing.
1: Which is nothing. We're paying way more than that for those little idiot boxes you guys carry in your pockets that run your life.
0: Hmm. I'm never on my phone.
1: <laughs> that phone thing, you, for technology, you're, you're idiot we, box. We, please, please coin that. We pay more for that kind of stuff because our food supply has been so inexpensive. And I refuse to use the word cheap because we have we do not have cheap food. We have the greatest food in, in the world. It's just the least expensive food in the world. Mm-hmm. And and as producers and as processors, as grocers, as as everybody through the food chain has worked to keep it that way. And that's
0: great. But, but how do we, how do we compete against the, you know, let's take the meat world for, for instance. I mean, how do we compete against the big four if they can still, because one, I've still got to make payroll. I've still got to make sure that I'm paying my taxes. I got to make sure that I've got enough money in my pocket to to feed my family. And they're still buying beef for whatever it is. And and, and I know you can't speak on behalf of either side of this, but how in the world am I going to compete
1: with the efficiency of that. You're not. You're gonna bifurcate the market. You've gotta find your own market. That that institutional side, that fifty-one percent is gonna to go to that the big four. No doubt about it. They've got to. You got a forty-eight percent market share out there at the home level, and then you get a piece of that that I think income levels will come back. I mean, this thing's not gonna last forever. I I'm an optimist, right?
0: So I like you. This is the time to really Everybody's eyes are like really wide in the studio right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: Everything's gonna be okay, right, Mister Secretary? Yeah, you know we are going to to. We're sitting here in Dell City, America, right now today. Yeah, thank you, God. Thinking about the future, there are people in this world who don't even have that opportunity. They don't even know the future. They don't. Uh,
0: they don't, don't know they're gonna get another meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right.
1: Vietnam, right? Vietnam. So, so we have an opportunity to really look at. And there's a different marketplace for that kind of stuff. You're not going to p- compete with the institutional folks. They don't even want to compete with you. You take, sell part of your stuff to them, but sell part of your stuff. You know, I, I think about the old, you know, the school wasn't, wasn't a big thing for some of us, right? <laughs> but but you t- talk about the old Florida orange juice model where you had a certain amount of your oranges went to the fresh market and then all the rest of it went to the to the juice market. Juice market paid the bills. the Fresh market. Did the marketing. Did the market, yeah. So mm-hmm. so you got to have that little you got to find your markets and, and go for that stuff. I think there's where we have the opportunity. For too long in agriculture we may have been satisfied with just selling to one person. It's easy, they write mm-hmm. a check, they cover our credit, they do whatever and we move on to the next year. We sell our cows, we take the cow money, buy hay, we start all over again, sell the cows, Keep buying buy hay. money. Yeah. You know,
0: that kind of thing. So so with that being said, how how are State Departments, how's New Mexico Department of Agriculture looking at regulations in, in empowering producers to be able to compete with the bigger market? You know, so and, and, and I say that, that 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 could be that could be a mis, misnomer too. It's like saying I I'm depending on you or NMDA to market my product. Is that the, is that, should that be the role of New Mexico department of agriculture?
1: I think we have a piece of that role. I think we have the role of connecting people to people who want their product Mm -hmm. and then we get out of the way. Okay. Right. I think we have the opportunities to meet with a lot of people who are brokers, whatever restaurant folks. We we have a very strong uh, institutional person who, who works with all the food service entities in the state. We have been able to connect through, Even through COVID, people to these institutions where producers can sell direct to to these institutional folks, the the food service entity, they have a strong desire to get more New Mexico products. Our limiting factor right now in, in the beef world is our processing capacity. You know, I was just told, I was on a beef council meeting with your father yesterday. I'm sorry. And and he he kind of behaved, but, <laughs> I love it. but Did well, he? Well, kind Come of. Come on, I was going to say that. I'm keeping it clean. I'm keeping <laughs> okay. Clean. <laughs> but but one of the beef council members made a comment that that okay, this is July 1st. He had some cattle ready to be processed. And he called his processor and the next available slot for processing in in, at this one particular place was in February. Wow. February. So that's eight months away.
0: That's going to be 2000 pound
1: steer. (laughs) That's going to be a well-fed steer, right? Give him my number. i got some feed for him. And so, so when, you know, at the end of the day, you start to think about our limiting factors. That's, that's one. So we have, you know, markets, free markets have a way of, of addressing that kind of thing. Um,
0: do you think there's a fallout? Do you think that that we we hemorrhage a certain amount of of producers through this process?
1: You know the sad thing is that's a free market um, It's a positive and a negative yeah a positive and a negative um, y- you know Canada has this you know on the dairy side, they had this very structured uh, price support program to try to keep their producers from going away. They lost more dairy producers than we lost, even with their price support structures because. You know that kind of that regulatory safety net doesn't always work. Good producers mm-hmm. always. You
0: know the thing is about. I'm know, not going to go into the political side of that, but boof, right,
1: right, right, I'm right. teed up to swing for the fence right now. <laughs> I need some rawhide. I'm just telling. You. <laughs> I'm just telling. You. I mean, there's there's just a lot of that kind of stuff. You just got to be careful about. Yeah, we're going to lose some producers, um, but we're going to gain some too. Right. The, the that's just the nature of the beast. I don't mm-hmm. know if it, I don't know if the attrition is going to be any greater or less than what it would have been. Otherwise, there. You know, the, the sad thing that I look at COVID and, and we shut down the restaurant industry. There's gonna be a lot of restaurants that don't come back. Yeah, what is that going to do to the production side or the or the sales side of things? Are people still going to go out to eat? The same number of people eventually when whenever they get back into into having confidence that it's safe to go out. You know, will they go out? Will just more of them show up at the ones that are still left, or or some of them going to drop out? I don't know. You know we live in a we live in a bubble.
0: You, know? you should live in Del City. You don't yeah. even know bubble. <laughs> well, like we don't even know what's going on outside okay, the so, border. So Jay, you and
1: I have had the opportunity to travel around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to do this thing when I when I talked to when I talk to conventions or, or whatever. When I go east of the Mississippi, I, like, I used to like to ask the question: How how many of you guys can live without going to the grocery store for seven days? You know, east of the Mississippi, very few hands. West of the Mississippi, over half. Wow. Right. COVID comes in, and all of a sudden, people don't have that opportunity to go to that. To, they can go to the grocery stores if they want, but they were told to stay home. Can't go to food service. You can't think about New York City. Think mm-hmm. of zillions of millions and billions of people I don't know how many just too many people living on a street corner. More people live on a street corner or in a single complex than live in Del City. Oh, more people mm-hmm. live in a street corner than live in the whole state of New Mexico, and they don't have refrigerators because. Their apartments are half of the size of, of this studio, and refrigerator space is a premium. So they pick up their food at the little store on the way home to fix it that night if they don't go out to eat. Boom, that's gone. Wow. So, so you think about and I, as I started this career a hundred million years ago, and you you start think and you start you find out that New Mexico is not reality to what major population centers are when you're dealing with food policy. I, I had a group I took to uh, a Farm Bureau Leadership Conference in the Sillamore one time in California. First night we flew in San Francisco, we stayed the night down downtown San Francisco. Some of the people went to Chinatown, some people, some of the, these are farmers and ranchers all over the state of New Mexico. One of the ranchers made a comment to me that kind of st- has stuck. He said, now I understand why people covet open space, wilderness areas forest lands, things like that. He said, I had no idea that the world was like this. Yeah. I
0: couldn't imagine not being able to walk out on my back porch and go to the bathroom. And and so here we are,
1: we're living, we we live in a, in a different world and we just have to understand that other people don't live like us at the same time. They have to understand that we don't live like like them. them. Right.
0: And, and so, and you hit on that earlier about just people's ability to pick on. And I said, I, I say that, take that with a grain of salt pick on the one and a half percent of food producers in, in, in the United States, you know, because we don't have, but let's, let's be real here. We've got our voice through a couple of different means, farm bureaus, um, 4 H's and FFA's and things like that. But really our voice has been quiet. I did the, the, uh, 30 harvest video, mm-hmm. you know, 22 million views. You know, I thought this is finally the chance that I'm going to break out of the ag sector and I'm going to actually have some meaningful conversations with people that are in inner city Chicago or New York or whatever crickets. (laughs) And so it's one of those things that, that is kind of understanding. I was, I was getting pretty politically charged in New Mexico. You know, I mean, I was, I was getting to, 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 to hang out with Jeff and understand the process more. I was getting to hang out with farm bureau. I was doing all of these things and then business knocked at the door and I moved out here to the middle of somewhere and I feel like I've lost a large part of being able to be a, a true person that would bolster something for agriculture but at the same time to somebody that's in let's just say that they're listening in Florida or Iowa or we're in all 50 states now if 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 somebody's listening to this and may want to say okay we want to take more control of our future in agriculture what is the first step they need to do on on the State Department side? What can they do to help shift their situation?
1: They, they just need to be involved, you know. And what does what does involvement mean? They, they need to. So, so the most aggravating thing, I think, for ag producers to do is to go to the state legislature. Or, or talk to their county commission.
0: Oh, I love that part, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, some like it, some love it, but some just don't like to do that. Um, if you want to shape ag policy, you've got to, to get engaged with your commissioner, director, secretary in your home state, mm-hmm. or your home province, wh- wherever you're at in, the, in this world, you've you got to be talking to those folks and understand. But more than that, it's share, your, share your experience. And I don't mean tell them how you got down to the dirty details. Of, of most of the people in the world are are more jealous of our lifestyle than they are envious of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think when you live in a box in New York City and and you see Jay Hill out here on a hundred thousand acres of wide open space for a little bit of that deal in the background says man that guy's got it made he could share <laughs> some of that stuff I could go and camp out on a, on an acre of that thing and he wouldn't even know it. You know, but yet I live in this little box. I I think I think we have to get to the point where you gotta just be active and engaged. Uh, one of the one of the my mentors, Alvin Stockton, who was a, a rancher from northern New Raton, he he was a state legislator for a couple of terms. He ended up being speaker of the house for one term. Uh, ran for governor and got just blasted out. Uh, in that deal. But Alvin, Alvin always made the comment of is, is that he says, you have to understand number one, you're a business person. And so you need to be active with the business community. You're no different. You're no better. You're no worse than the banker, the grocery store owner, the car dealer. You're the same. You're just a businessman. And and I think a lot of times we don't approach it like that. We we approach it that we are a farmer or we are a rancher and you know, you're a business person. He, Alvin's big deal was you need to be active with association of commerce and industry on the same level as the banker and the and the car dealer and, and understanding products. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And and he says they need to, you need to help them understand what you're going through. The regulation, everybody thinks that you know, agriculture has all these ag exemptions, property tax exemptions, whatever it is. And they and they view that as a little jealousy. They don't understand what goes behind that. Yeah. Right. They don't, they don't understand the picture of, of what, why that was, what's done. I think we just have to be more active and engaged out there.
2: Can, can I jump in here? Because I think you, yeah. uh, I've written down a bunch of questions. Oh, exactly.
1: Who <laughs> exactly. Brought Who brought that guy? E-
0: exactly. I know. <laughs> exactly. Johnny, you gotta, you gotta cut them up short. We're, yeah.
2: we're over an hour. I, I know. So I'm going to make it simple. Okay. So I have this conversation with Jay all the time right? How did you get so good looking? It's my, it's my mom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, there's so many people right now that are friends with Jay and I, and you know, that are involved in agriculture and they are enraged on social media about where agriculture is going. And, you know, maybe some of it is, is just hype from social media. Maybe, maybe some of it's not, but could you break down to us? And this is one of the most Fascinating conversations I've had in a long time. That's why I haven't said it. You are in <laughs> <laughs>
1: Del
2: I don't live here, but I, I know, have just. You're here now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've just been, I mean, soaking it up because it's. this is a conversation that definitely needs to be had. So could you sum it up like, you know, be active in, and engaged. What does that mean to somebody who's, you know, sitting on Facebook, you know, forwarding things because they're mad about where we're going? <laughs> what can you, can you give us, Three you know, steps, three simple steps that, that could, oh, that I we wish, could, I wish I could like just uh, me, like an average Joe, how could I get engaged in, in, in policy in, yes. in and shaping where we're going.
1: So, so, you know, the danger about Facebook and, and people get caught in it all the time is, yeah. that, is that it's easy to just sit and forward Yep, without thinking. Yep. But nobody, nobody follows that person. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think, you know, what Jay has created over here is this, this following, right? And, and and there's people that, that, and I've talked to, and don't let this go to your head, you know, keep that hat on because I don't want her to bust, (laughs) but there are people that are not involved in agriculture that follow Jay Hill. Yep. They find some of his, his thoughts fascinating. Yep. Or enraging. Or enraging. (laughs) But it comes from the heart. Yeah. Right. That is a big compliment. Thank you. And and there's too many people out there that want to be active and involved that are thinking they're, they're thinking with this and not with this. Yes. With their heart. Yes. And so they're not passionate. Yep. I think you've got to show that passion for what you do. And, and for, we talk about agriculture, we've, we've, so many years ago, we, we shifted the discussion from agriculture to food and agriculture. Why did we separate food from agriculture? It was because we're trying to connect the consumer to the food side, not to the agriculture. Food is agriculture. Agriculture is food.
0: But who's been the but face we, of agriculture? And I think that's one of the big pivotal yeah, shifts that yep. we've seen is we've got a broker or somebody that's in the middle that's exactly. putting their name and their face on something that we have worked our tails off to make. But
1: but look at what's happening. Look at your Super Bowl ads, and look at some of these ads out there that are that are coming up now. They have producers. Yeah, but they're not, not telling these, the producer's story. They're just saying, no, "Hey, we just like farmers because yeah, they're really good no, people." Exactly. But that's step one, right? At least they recognize that that food came from. That dirt, right? right it's true. Our, our, I, I posted one time on there, well, I, or, or my team posted for me because they're really good at it and I'm not, but that, that our very existence depends on six inches of soil and the fact that it rains. Except until city never rains. Except <laughs> in density. But, but you create your right. own rain. Right? That's right. But at this, at that, we got to speak with our heart on this kind of stuff and connect with people and, and connect that food. We, we got we to gotta make sure people understand that it's food we're talking about. Every policy that these politicians came up with, we had, a, we had an ag producer a few years ago. He quit talking about, you know, New Mexico has a million head of cattle.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He said, we produce X million steaks. pounds of protein. Oh. No, he took it even further than steaks. He said protein, ounces of protein. The world is short of protein by 30%. We are producing this much to address that shortage. So, so he took a little different tact. So he was trying to, to shift that messaging a little bit to make it more relevant to some of those people who don't understand that that steak has protein.
0: I think, I think the, the biggest thing that I've just got out of the question that you posed, Johnny, and the, the response that Jeff has given, we need our own Super Bowl ad.
1: <laughs> there you go, Chaffee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Uh, guys, we're going to need to get after that. It's like <laughs>
1: We're
2: looking for 40 sponsors.
1: Million, $40 million in 30 seconds, but it's okay. You can do that.
2: We got faith in you, too. I wonder if they take a personal check.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think your sales team was over there thinking, we got to get busy. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we
1: got some
0: things
2: to do. Johnny, you have anything else? Oh. So three things. Is there three things that you could identify that the average Joe like me, who's not Jay Hill, that could make a difference or could get engaged, you know, what's the first step? Okay. Connect, connect
1: Connect. with your community. Okay. What, what does that mean? That means you've got, so you live in Las Cruces. Yep. Do you know who your neighbor is? Yes. Do you know who your council person is? Maybe. Do you know who your county commissioner is? Do, do they know you? Do they know no. that you're active? in us say no. Do they have somebody? You know, one time I was, I was in the, uh, I lived in Santa Fe and was doing lobbying for Farm Bureau. I was talking to one of the state senators who was my state senator. And he made this comment to me, which I found just crazy. But he says, I don't have any agriculture in my district. And I said, really? I said, I live in your district. And so does this ranch, this ranch, this ranch, this ranch. And I said, this farm and these guys are doing this. And he was like, you know, I had no idea. <laughs> So we had these elected individuals who had no idea that their constituency was involved in, in agriculture. Well, that's our fault.
0: Well, how many people right now can you sit there and say, well, what's, what's the vice president's name? Right. You know, there's a no. lot of people
1: out there that would be like,
2: hmm,
0: Biden? Yeah. You know, I, they, they don't truly know that. And, and to mm-hmm. not know who your council person is, to not know who your commissioner is, who your your reps and your senators and your governor for some. You know, I mean, those are the things I think a lot of people leave out and it might not be overall exciting and thrilling to understand who those people are. But those are the people that are going to affect changing your oh, life. Yeah. Right. Those, those are, are
1: those are important are people. OK, so yep. there's one you're yep. connecting. Yep. So, connecting. So, so what's yep. two? So, so number two, oh boy, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is hard. This is worse in school. But, but, but these are things that, oh, this
2: that is way better I think that's where we get caught up. We don't, we don't even know where to start. That's why I think this is such an important point for the average person like me, who doesn't have 40,000, 45, wherever we're at. Guess how followers. many followers I started with though?
1: Well, that's why I want to have this conversation. And and I right? think, I think that's the point. People look at that Jay and think, Jay turned on the switch and all of a sudden had, right. You know, 40, 50,000 people. Mm-mm. Right. You know, it takes a while. You, you got to invest in that. You've got to really, uh, and, and it's all about being involved and it's about doing the right thing all the time. It's, you know, we, we talk to our kids and, and we talked at the school system and we, so I live over there by East Picacho elementary school and, and East Picacho, even though it's surrounded by agriculture, they had no clue what was going on in agriculture. Mm -hmm. So what, what they did is some of the teachers brought in chickens and they started doing chili projects and things like that. I would go to those, the, the seminars that they would have at the end of the deal where the kids would report out and they would ask questions about those kids started asking more intelligent questions than I would get at some of the service clubs that I, that I would speak at. That was a problem. It wasn't a problem that the kids were asking that kind of question. The problem was, is that our local community had lost total touch with the very facet of the economy that supported them, the agriculture entities. And so I think, I think it's not only do you need to be involved with your local leaders, your elected leaders, you also need to be involved with those service clubs and, and others, opinion leaders that, that, and, and not be telling them what you do, but to help them understand through the backstory about what you're what. What it is that your agriculture is all about in the community? When I would when I would talk to some of the service groups, even in Las Cruces, and you talk about you know Doniana County is a four hundred million dollar county in agriculture. They're like we had no idea, right? We see it, we drive by it, we take it for granted every day. You know, I was I was teaching a class one time in Durham, North Carolina, to a bunch of firefighters and police guys, and I and I said your your project over the lunch hour as you're going to lunch is I want you to As you're driving down the road, look out the window and write down every food and agriculture establishment that you pass. And when we come back from lunch, we're going to have a discussion about it. They came back from lunch and they they made the comment, we had no idea. There was so much food and agriculture in just this area of Durham, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. People don't recognize and they don't associate these restaurants and the school cafeterias and senior centers and things like that with food, we have to, we've lost that touch and that connection. So that's number two is continue that connection on down. And number three, keep producing good stuff. I think that quality is that key. Quality is key. Every time we have a, an issue with anything, you know, lettuce or spinach, things like that, we all take a set. We all take a, a we all get, Impacted by that? Oh yeah,
0: not only just the market, but just the
1: just our integrity as farmers. Yeah, and and I think at the end of the day, I'm a lettuce farmer. You can you can be out connecting with everybody, but but if we don't connect and we don't produce that good quality stuff, we got we have nothing, right? Your word is your bond, right? So products that you produce.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump into this with Jeff though. So if it's not just agriculture, if we're talking to somebody that's working. We're talking to Michael Grady in Victoria, Texas, you know, and he works at a pipe supply um, depot for him to talk about quality is for somebody to say what I do. I do the best that I can. So it doesn't matter if it's just farming. It doesn't matter if it's ranching. It doesn't matter whatever we do and whatever we're passionate about and whatever we're hoping to incite change with, we have to do with quality behind us. You know, it's, it's, it's like buying sunglasses online. You can go buy a pair of Maui gyms. And Maui gyms are going to last you two, three years. Unless you're me, you're going to run over them the first day. Or you can go buy a pair of whatever at the gas station and they break in three days. You know, they might look cool and they might seem like it would be the new fad. But if they break in three days, then you're not going to get anybody behind it. You know, Mm -hmm. kind of a weird analogy, but that's kind of how my brain works.
1: Yeah, no, it's that's exactly right.
0: Okay, that being said, we're 14 minutes past due time. So, to those of you listening, get over it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Jeff, I, I, Johnny, you good? Yeah, yeah. You feel you feel relieved? Did you get the answers? Are you? Yeah, I think the thing about stressed. it is, is well, just get out and connect, and and figure out who your council member is. You know who your commissioner That's, is, who your 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 uh, state representatives are. You know, introduce yourself. You know, get involved in the conversation. Don't just hit forward or share exactly uh, online. That's yes, doing nothing. or
1: become one.
2: Yeah. Or become
0: one. That's a really good point. Listen, listen, if you're going to share something on social media, it's whatever. It's easy, easy. Uh, America is pretty sick of easy. So if you're going to share something that's passionate, you know, please continue to share what I'm doing. But at the same time, <laughs> make sure make sure that you put what you believe in there. If if I'm saying something that you don't agree with and you just share it, and you're like piece of trash, you know, what does that do to, to move your cause or your rally or, or to inspire change in whatever you believe in? So at the same time, why I still think it's effective to share what other people have to say. The biggest thing that we have to do is make sure that you understand or you let people understand what your viewpoint is as well. But just sharing it does nothing. Right. You know, it's it's it's, it's wiping before you poop doesn't make any sense.
1: It's, it's just like going to the Rotary Club and just eating lunch. You know, it sounds if, good. If you what time is if, it? If you don't engage you know, it's you've lost that opportunity,
0: right? I, I mean, I, I think that's, I think, and the one thing too is the best way to communicate with somebody is to listen and learn what they have to say. Yeah. To understand, this is why this podcast is now the fastest growing podcast in agriculture. The, the, the thing that's amazing about it is I sit here for an hour and I learn something every week. Yeah. And 20 minutes. And <laughs> <laughs> We knew that coming in with you. <laughs> I knew that we were going to get a cooler beer, but it's Wednesday at noon. What, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> <And>? <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. So five o'clock somewhere. That's right. So, so the biggest thing is just making sure that you're always engaging in something that's going to be building you or somebody up that is going to inspire positive change for you or somebody and engage with that person, understand their process. The, the conversations we've had today, oh, I've known you for a long time yeah. and I've learned so much yeah. sitting here today and that's, the, that's the spice of life, man. It's, it's amazing, besides New Mexico growing chili.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's good. <laughs>
0: so so with that, Jeff, I'm going to ask you two questions. The first question is, what's your biggest fear?
1: <clears throat> my biggest fear, besides heights? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Spiders. <laughs> you, you know, the, I think at the end of the day, my biggest fear is that that we continue down a path where we don't respect what the agricultural producer is is all about, and I think through COVID gave us an opportunity to really change that dynamic. Um, I, I, I've saw I saw a huge shift in in what is going on out there in the in the world, but we're always going to have good producers. We are always going to have those folks that that want to be involved and folks folks that just want to grow. I think that's okay, but the fear is is that we don't. We we continue down a path of, of just not participating and being out there in the in the marketplace and, and with the opinion leaders and that kind of thing. Agriculture is a great enterprise and a great business. You can climb as high as you want to go into this area. That's
0: very true. And, and mm.
1: there's and there's opportunities out there. And and when I see when I speak at the colleges and, and other places, I see that gleam in the eyes. I see the gleam in the eyes of some of your young folks that are working out here and we got to start drug testing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is there's opportunity and, and I want New Mexico to seize that opportunity and, and to really take it to the next level. Second question,
0: excluding family members and your religion or preference in religion. Who's your biggest hero?
1: <laughs> oh man. My biggest Thanks, Jeff. I sure appreciate that, man. hero. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jay, no. I can, I'll consider you family on this one, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. You know... Don't say little Catlin. No, God, <laughs> no. No, 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 no. You know, yeah, I've had a lot of mentors and a lot of a lot of heroes uh, over over time. I, I think one of the greatest people that I look up to is a guy named Bob Porter. He, he was the executive vice president of the Farm Bureau when he hired me, but the things that he taught me over over the years and 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 the guy is just he's a magnificent individual but he he always wanted the best for people that was his whole motto is 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 to make people the best and and i think that's what we we kind of lose sight of that too many people are trying to make themselves the best i think it's more been fun there to make other people <laughs> the best and and that was that was his deal so so that was He's he's been like a hero and a mentor to me, and and I've been blessed to have that relationship with with a guy like him.
0: I I again I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming and spending the better part of your morning with us, and and just <laughs> truly here we go again educating us <laughs> on things. Um, at the same time, you know we do have a long road to hoe ahead of us. And uh, it's encouraging knowing that we have people, you know, and, and you're not always going to be the most popular guy in New Mexico because things oh, are going to roll. I'm down. never
1: the most popular guy. Yeah, in New see, Mexico
0: and that's too. and I, that's the thing that I that I, I like about people that are in your position. If you're an appointed person like yourself, you know, y- you try to listen to every side that you can, and and you're not always going to be right. But the way you hold yourself as a man of integrity, of, of a man of agriculture, um, love your parents, you know, and yeah. your and your kids, and and so you've just been you've been. A heck of a mentor for me understanding what I need to do in agriculture. So for having you out here, we just we want to say thanks. And uh and for you, Conganas Caldwell, <laughs> thanks for joining us. También. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> That's right. Um uh, from all of us out here in the middle, we just want to say thanks for listening. Uh we've got some exciting podcasts up in front of us. Uh if you like what you're hearing, please remember to uh like and subscribe everything. With that being said, God bless and have a good day.